Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. And this week, we're going to be talking about the electric scooter boom. Uh, if you've been in downtown San Antonio or out at UTSA's campus, if you're listening in our, our home market on 1200, uh, then you've seen them all over uh, for many different companies. I'm joined uh, by the CEO of Blue Duck Scooters, uh, San Antonio headquartered uh, mobility company. What are you guys calling yourselves these days? Are you a scooter company? Are you a mobility company? Are you the future of transportation? This is, this is a wild market. I mean, frankly, we're we're like a logistics company, right? There you go. Um, but it's a really interesting business, Brett. And it's uh, it's. I mean, we're a hardware company. We're a software company. We're a firmware company. We're a logistics business. We're a security business. When we go into new markets, we rent real estate. So we're a real estate company as well. And so we're a data company, you know. And so all of those things integrate. But really, you know, the crux of it is you know putting scooters out on the streets in the morning and collecting them and servicing them in the evening. So the the real the real heavy lifting around this is just the just the, the human component because they're electric vehicles and they demand being picked up and re, redistributed. Um, that's the part of the business which there is no business without it. You know, people can connect stuff to satellites and they can connect it to your phone, but um, if they can't put it out in the morning or find it at the end of the evening, um, you know, you're in a you're in a world of trouble. So you've got some. Um cybersecurity challenges with this as well that we'll we'll dig into a little bit later uh, in the program as you said because you got to find these things and people when you you put things out in the wild do all sorts of interesting things you may or may not expect to them um, and I think this will be some of the challenges uh, out there so um, these scooters went from nowhere to everywhere in kind of over the course of the last year um, I mean and so uh, from I was reading an article the other day this is uh, the the fastest growing transportation revolution ever i mean this ride sharing had a curve that looked kind of like this but the for the cars but this scooter thing is just going straight up it almost just looks like a straight line right now so i mean i can't speak to whatever the robber barons and the railroads and stuff right yeah at least honestly i can speak to the fact is that there is no entrenched union i.e. the taxi companies that are pushing back against ride sharing so i think there is a case to be made that had there not been that in place, rideshare would have accelerated as quickly as this market. As quickly as this is. We are beginning to believe that, and it sounds crazy, and I didn't believe it when my CFO first pitched this idea to me, which is that micromobility and micromobility sharing is going to be like way bigger than rideshare. In yeah. fact, in fact, it might own rideshare in this country in a right. Um, the, the, the counterfactual is, you know, Rideshare may be so powerful and have so much money that has the ability to own the micromobility as well and absorb that movement inside of you know the confines because it does seem like a natural um, extension of your existing ridesharing platform and kind of what we've learned from opening markets um, where we were third in San Antonio, we were first in San Marcos, and we were first in Corpus Christi is it's kind of a simple business after just saying it's a very complex business. But at the user level, it's a very simple business. If you're first to a market, you win. If you're second, you you also win. Um, if you're third or fourth or fifth or whatever, there's like seven of us of note in the space, you're in deep trouble. Yeah. You're, you're not going to be able to gain market share because frankly, people have app fatigue, which I'm sure you guys have seen, and you know, kids and really anyone is not going to have 
more than two of the same type of app on their phone. So if you can get the users bought into your platform and if you can put the thing out in the morning where it's accessible to them and easy, they're going to use it. Um, and if you can't do those two things, um, you're completely wasting your time and your investors' money. And so kind of our thought process around our growth profile is pretty simple, which is, you know, go places where you can win. And, you know, we don't need social capital in Santa Monica or San Francisco or Barcelona. Like that doesn't do anything. Our investors aren't there. They don't need to walk out of their high rise and feel like, ooh, that's my scooter company. Like yeah. we want to go places where um, you know, we can be successful. And people's credit cards charge just the same in Santa Monica as they do in San Antonio or, you know, and that that just happens to be true. And, and you know, these folks that we're competing against come out of the ride sharing wars mostly. Um, and they are enamored with the tier one cities at all cost. And so, you know, in some sense, as we like to say it, you know, at the Duck HQ, you know, the world's a very big place. And, and we believe that, you know, electric scooter sharing is going to be a part of the ur fabric of urban living for the full duration of our lives. That is a fact, or at least we believe that to be a fact. The question is, is like, where can Blue Duck go to be successful and to operate under that landscape? And kind of as we were talking before we came in here, we believe that ultimately every large and small city will be a closed system with caps and permits. And so we're working a regulatory process of everywhere we go where there really only are a couple of providers with a dedicated contract and with the ability to operate, you know, in good faith with the city, you know. And so that's so far has, um, you know, has been a pretty successful strategy for us. Yeah, we've, we've seen some of this with bike sharing programs and the bikes are, are not nearly as uh, user friendly as the scooters. It's more difficult to ride a bike. It's more difficult to ride a bike in different outfits. And um, so like San Antonio had a, a bike share specific contract and you have cities like Dallas where there's the bikes all over the sidewalks. I'm sure they're probably all replaced by scooters now. I can't imagine. I haven't been back up to Dallas recently, but I would assume all the bikes are gone from up there now and it's, it's scooters everywhere. I, I mean, we, we have some operating data that suggests that for every one person that uses bike share, there's 20 to 25 people who use scooters, right? So yeah. people want electric scooters a lot more than they want bicycles. I mean, part of that is, you know, when this market started coming into being here in the South was the middle of the summer, right? And so, like, it's a lot to ask a professional person to ride a bicycle to lunch. Also, most bike systems, at least legacy ones, are a docked system. Yeah, The dockless systems don't make a lot of financial sense. You know, uh, dockless bikes are four times as expensive as an electric scooter. They generate, you know, one twentieth of the revenue um, because of their ridership. That does not sound like a great business model. It's not a good business model. That's not to say bikes are bad. I mean, bikes are, uh, there's a lot of people who bikes are a component of their day-to-day -day life, but that is not where the mobility movement, air quotes, kind of is, is, is moving towards, which is why you've seen Lime who raised like, I mean, people will probably whatever, dispute this number, but hundreds of millions of dollars to put dockless bicycles in, and now they're not even making them. They're yeah, they're 100% a scooter company. Now. Yeah, for those that have just seen Lime around as a, a scooter company, Lime rolled out as Lime Bike originally. That was the name of the company, I believe. Right, Eric? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly Yeah, right. it was called Lime Bike, and, and they were in a, a number of cities. I have saw them up in Dallas uh, with Ofo and others, and I think they've all kind of switched over to scooters now. It's it's so It was so bad for Ofo, you know, that um, in the process – of trying to convert themselves to a scooter company. They basically went bankrupt because they didn't have a scooter to be able to put out. And now they have to pull out of um, one of their key markets was Texas A&M. And they've had to pull out of that market as well. By that, I mean their bike market because it's just not, it's not where this space is moving into. You know, we, we believe that 
scooters are not the end point on the ride-sharing timeline, that they're yeah. just simply a point on the ride-sharing timeline. And it's going to be a dominant one for this generation of technology. Um, there are some folks who you know, are developing autonomous pods and all kinds of things which sound fun and sound like a long way away from being actionable. What's kind of interesting to me is that Lime, a couple of weeks ago, has decided to go out of their core business and get into car sharing, which is like seems like a regression, but that tells you how far away we are as an industry from the next product that really begins to kind of change or or accelerate the, the micro-mobility movement. I think the good thing about bike sharing and scooter sharing being in the same space, by that I mean you know conceptual and then also physical space, is because there are so many people who are now riding scooters, it, it really is a once-in-a-generation opportunity for every major city to create, I'm going to call them dedicated bike lanes. Our friends in California call them mobility lanes, which I think is a dumb term. But there's such a demand for safe spaces for those types of vehicles that it's really going to create a catalyst for all communities to begin embracing pedestrian access, particularly in the South, where we have real legacy transportation problems. And we have, you know, it's a car or nothing problem. Yeah. And, and I got into this kind of, you know, optimistically, you know, I'm a generally progressive, you know, I was like, it's green, it's clean, it's fun, it's, you know, addresses traffic and parking and pollution. And then, you know, on the, the other side of the table, it's like, wow, it's the private sector coming in and innovating and really finding ways to solve problems that we're incapable of addressing at the public sector, particularly because, you know, everybody wants transportation options, but people don't really want to pay for them. And so at some juncture, someone has to come in and do it. And that's all that's true to an extent. The real crux of the thing is just people just hate their car. I mean, they love the idea of their car, but the time that they spend in their car, particularly commuting, because we don't have those other options, is like a huge pain point for folks. So when you provide solutions like these to people, as you've seen, we went from 100 scooters to like 4,000 scooters in San Antonio, plus or minus a few, in a matter of like four months. And so we're still as an industry beginning to figure out like what critical mass is and subsequently like what real demand is for these types of products. And so that's that's been pretty interesting to kind of like watch come into being because physically these things exist in public space. So as we all commute to work every day, you're kind of bombarded with electric scooters and and that like should be a sense of like how pent up the demand behind this industry really was and still is to an extent yeah and it for me it's interesting to see the public spaces so the city passed an ordinance allowing scooters allowing scooters on roads and and sidewalks and and how that goes on city spaces but then many of the uh, as you said the south san antonio and and most of the rest of the west if you go west of here are designed around automobiles and parking lots and so you have these massive uh, whether it's a urban redevelopment project um, like the pearl or you it's private property you've got massive parking people come in and walk or even out to like a la cantera shopping mall or the rim or these other big outdoor mall expanses you go out to california and there's the uh, Fashion Valley Mall and all sorts of other big outdoor areas where many of these private property folks are not allowing scooters in their areas uh, from a mobility or transport perspective. Uh, how do you think is this going to do you think people are going to demand to be able to ride scooters on those type of places or it's going to hurt their business in the long run? I think to an extent, to all extents, you will not see that two years from now, kind of as we saw um, in rideshare early rideshare, there was a lot of pushback around um, you know, that platform. 
it's four or five years down the road, people don't even blink at the idea of being able to get an Uber. In fact, it was such a pain point that when the city and Mayor Taylor and a whole series of folks decided to get in a fight with the ride-sharing community, it, it became a canary in the coal mine for business development. If you landed at the airport and you pulled up your Uber or Lyft app and it wasn't available to you, it's like, why am I here? How are we going to do business here? How are we going to grow? How do I get to my meeting? Small, small things. I think you'll see kind of human community and business adoption around scooter sharing of the like the kind of nimbiest movement. Um, I think you'll see Wayne pretty easily over time. You know, I mean, our our executive headquarters is at the Pearl and, you know, they came to us and said, hey, we understand, you know, uh, scooters are going to be a part of this community and we want to do it sensibly and thoughtfully. And part of our kind of corporate strategy has always been like, be the good partner, be the folks who want to work with people. And I think all of us as companies will work through the process of how this works. And also users are working through the process of how this works because it is it is new to an extent. And so we think user behavior and the things that, you know, some call it private properties may see as whatever deviant or disruptive yeah, the, the skateboards of this generation right these yeah. these hooligan kids and their skateboards all back again i mean it's silly it seems like a silly technology but it is one that's really prevalent i mean you guys are downtown and it's like a pain to get to lunch dude and yeah. people I just mean, want to do small things like it, it opens yeah. up huge options i mean so because you can easily ride a scooter i think i've been asked and i i comment regularly about this uh on facebook posts on the city of san antonio um group there and folks ask, well, why don't you just walk to lunch? Well, if, if I'm going to lunch a mile and a half away from here, that takes 30 minutes to walk. I can do that in four to seven minutes on a scooter. Uh, and I can't pull my car out of a parking garage. Even if there was a parking space in front of the door of the place I was going to lunch, by the time you pull down from whatever floor you are in the parking garage out and drive over, it's not only greener, cleaner, easier. It's actually faster for me to take a scooter from my office a mile and a half for lunch. Um, and it opens up a whole new set of options uh, for folks around downtown. I mean, I've noticed the dramatic difference in the, the traffic counts here. And I, I don't know if we actually have real hard numbers on this, but I can see it looking out the window. Um, I mean, the last time I've seen Houston Street backed up um, is before scooters showed up in town. There, there is some local data on ridership. I, I remember hearing a number like it's like 200,000 or 300,000 rides in San Antonio in the past like three or four months, right? Yeah, I mean, Bird was yeah. saying that they were doing 50,000 rides a month at a city council meeting about this. And so if, if Lime is also doing 50,000 rides a month and you're at 100,000 rides here in San Antonio. Right. And so that's, that's not 100,000 cars, but it's probably you know, 65, maybe 60, because people yeah. don't really carpool, you know, like, no. and, and the, to the, the, the expediency argument, like it's, I haven't timed it, but it's about the same. It takes about the same amount of time to get from Pearl to your offices here at the Rand on a scooter as it does in a car. And that doesn't include like the, the meter maid over there, like who's trying to steal money from me while I'm trying to pay for parking. So I cannot be late to your podcast. You know, yeah. it's probably faster to actually get here on the scooter. If you had comprehensive dedicated bike lanes up and down the Broadway corridor, which, which we don't, you know, and yeah. a component of, you know, the bond initiative is to build out that facet of Broadway. And I know there's some debate about where those bike lanes are going to go, but I, I mean, I think it's, it shouldn't just be that corridor. And I know that's not the intent, but I think, I think through the next cycle, we really, it's incumbent upon us to drive the fact is that 
we are taking cars off the road, which is which is solving a lot of problems, um, and and big ones and small ones, and yeah. so so that's that. It's exciting. I mean, it's it's weird that connecting a scooter to the internet would be and the satellites would be this transformative this quickly in the transportation economy. Um, because it, it seems kind of like a silly technology. You know, it's a razor scooter with a motor in it and a GPS unit, basically. Some of them have GPS, some don't. They just use your phone as a GPS unit, basically. Um, and and I, I don't fully understand the nimbiest, like, why we don't want these, other than the fact that the three things which are important, which is, like, the stuff piling up on sidewalks, I get. I believe there's too many scooters in San Antonio right now, particularly in the urban court area. I believe when this pilot program ends, we need to run a cap and a permitting system that defines areas and defines numbers and probably creates some more revenue or a revenue sharing scheme with the city. I think that's probably the smartest thing that the city could potentially do. And I think that the sheer mass of them is going to drive the political process that exists around that. Um, and, uh, you know, we intend to be a part of that process. You know, it was... Frustrating would be a kind word for how we felt that, um, you know, our friends from California and that would be Bird and our friends from China, which would be Lime. And I'm sure their GR director is going to call in or whatever, say and say they're not a Chinese company, but go read their executive bios and tell me they aren't a Chinese company, that they came here and colonized our hometown before we could get to market. That was frustrating. Um, it was also like an honest as we would say, lick in the space, which is, you know, it really focused us on what we need to do and how we need to be successful. So much so that, you know, when we got to UTSA, we were second and it was easily our best market and still continues to be so. And so the, the, it doesn't seem like there's a reasonable case to be made that there should be seven scooter providers in an urban landscape. I mean, I see it because, because we're in the, the hashtag scooter wars, right? We spend a lot of time in California because particularly Los Angeles, because that's the home of this business. You know, um, there are seven or eight scooter providers just in Santa Monica, which is not a big city. And, and it's, it's really problematic to an extent. So so we, we want to begin addressing that and begin addressing that at the regulatory process, because this isn't really a this business does not like public relations. It's completely a government relations business um, because all of these communities are run by their own, you know, fiefdoms. And I don't mean that pejoratively. I mean that by their their city offices and their mayors and the counties. And and we just kind of believe that as this unfolds over the course of the next nine to 12 months, that all of the cities, big, small across the board, are going to run new processes or run an initial process which is going to kind of more formalize the nature of, you know, electric scooters being available in your area. Because we know it's a massive net positive, but there are like some issues. You know, public space was one we just talked about, stuff piling up. Public safety is one as well. You know, we, um, we offer, uh, we'll offer anybody, we'll mail you a free helmet. We've had literally tens of thousands of rides. We've had one person request a helmet. We actually like threw a little party at the office when we finally that's, got one. That's kind of funny. And then the sacred space stuff, which is like, you know, don't let them pile up in front of the Alamo, which I mean, you can do. But the thing is, is they pile up in front of the, it's, it's like unenforceable. They pile up in front of the Alamo anyways. You know, what, what are we going to hire a scooter police to go around and like issue tickets and citations? Are we going to have guys out there with like um, radar guns, making sure they go 15 miles an hour and not 17 miles an hour? So a lot of the policy stuff around this comes from a good place, but it's just not. It's not workable. It's not enforceable. So we need to work through the process, and we do it with our 
government relations team of like crafting really sensible legislation, which allows these things to like net positive benefit the city and the cities that we're in, while also eliminating like the rough edges of, you know, this this particular part of the sharing economy. Downtowns um, in cities back before the automobile were very pedestrian friendly and very friendly to uh, folks riding around on horse, which a, a horse is much more uh, disruptive uh, to automobiles than a scooter is. Uh, and I, I think the that whole transition did not go very smoothly. Um, there was uh, lots of of turmoil through that and then hopefully um, I mean cities can look back with a long lens in time and learn a little bit about how that transition went that I really believe that the the urban cores in many areas can consider um, closing streets to automobile traffic now and returning not just bike lanes or mobility lanes or whatever you'd like to call them but whole streets to pedestrians and to scooters um, and you would actually reduce congestion by doing that. Uh, you also potentially uh, look at, at building parking structures around the perimeter of a, an urban core, which allows you to then take land in the middle of that and turn it from parking garage into additional building structures, which can increase density and which can continue to improve uh, the, the stability of that core. It also maybe even opens up some streets being turned into uh, green space where you can pull some of the asphalt up and add some additional greenery in um, to reduce temperatures, to improve air quality, and, and all the things that we, we get out there and we talk about. We, we say we want these things to happen, but as long as we're um, driving automobiles for 99% of our, our trips and parking them in parking garages, we have to continue to dedicate all of this space uh, to servicing those very yeah, large things that consume a lot of resources, whether they're an electric car or not. I was I was reading, I guess the uh, somebody was saying the 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 gas mileage equivalent on a scooter, something like twelve hundred miles to the gallon. If you did the the same way, they rate electric cars. Well, if you know, in, in no disrespect, because I'm I'm a good customer of theirs. If H E B can close Maine for a grocery store we should be able to close some streets for pedestrian access and mobility yeah. because there, there's demand there. The horse and car analogy is an interesting one. Um, there, there's, a, there's a Harvard Business School case study, I forget the title of it, um, which is, uh, there's a company from like the, the 1917, 1918, that was like the preeminent horse and buggy company in America. Um, uh, Henry Ford basically came and ate their lunch because they didn't realize they were in the transportation business, they thought they were in the horse and buggy business. Two weeks ago or three weeks ago, Ford bought an electric scooter company, which means Ford is smart enough to know that they're not in the car business. They're still in the transportation business and that this micro mobility movement um, is cannibalizing ultimately at least the urban fabric of their business. And that's really encouraging. I mean, for us as a, a business, well, we've always talked about, you know, acquisition strategy, um, growth. And there's so many players on the board here. The fact that the car, that in every boardroom across the planet, at every major car company, be it Fiat or Tesla or any of the like, they're saying, "Where's my scooter company? Where where are we going to be in this space? How are we going to survive?" And that kind of that sense of you know options, which include you know the data behind the platform, which is you know we kind of we know where you're going and how much you're spending on scooters and pretty much where you live and where you start and where you go to school. No one's even begun to monetize that part of the space. And then just the sheer business aspect of the space, which is there's a few of us scooter companies out there. And, you know, we, we believe this, this is 
this is a rough number, but there were like 14 ride sharing companies of note um, back in 2012. Uh, 13 of them ended up getting absorbed into Uber and Lyft. And so, you know, the, we, we think the consolidations are already starting. Uh, There's some articles the other day about, um, you know, Uber's already going to take down one of the big providers and get into this space. And so that kind of market momentum towards this facet of mobility um, is, is I mean, for us, is, is, is pretty encouraging for, for our business model as, as one of the, you know, the smaller four companies. Yeah. You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio. I'm joined by Eric Bell, the CEO of Blue Duck Scooters. We're talking the scooter boom. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here at the bottom of the hour for a news, traffic, and weather update. And then uh, Eric and I will be back to talk a little bit about uh, what differentiates Blue Duck. Like, how are they coming at this? And uh, some of the cybersecurity aspects of uh, keeping these uh, internet-connected devices safe uh, out there on our streets. Welcome back to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran, and we're talking the electric scooter boom with... I can't, no. With, uh, joined uh, by the CEO of Blue Duck Scooters, uh, Eric Bell, and uh, the first half of the program, uh, we kind of went all through uh, the high levels of this revolution, what's going on to change transportation and urban cores and uh, college campuses across uh, the country and uh, I think even across the world and Eric made mention of Barcelona if you just uh, tuned in now on the radio uh, you can listen to the rebroadcast of this uh, up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Wednesday January the 2nd it'll also be out there on all of your favorite podcasting apps on Wednesday so if uh, you have a favorite podcasting app where you can not find our program uh, reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter we will fix that and we will get you a CyberTalk Radio t-shirt uh, so, Eric, do, do I get a CyberTalk Radio t-shirt? Right? Yes, guests get CyberTalk Radio t-shirts. So if you would like to be a guest of the program, you can uh, apply to do that on our website as well. And that is another way to earn yourself a CyberTalk Radio t-shirt. One of the things I, I said we were going to talk a little bit about when we came back here after that uh, news, traffic, and weather update for those listening on the radio uh, was the security behind these things. So you're putting moderately expensive, as you were saying, five to 600 bucks, maybe $800 devices, depending on what sort of hardware and, and sensors and things on there. You're putting these out on the street and you're leaving them there for the, the public to grab and use. And they've got beepy alarms and this sort of stuff on them. But um, what kind of, like, so you've got the security logistical challenges of the, the physical scooters out there, You've got an app and a platform that I'm sure people are trying to to hack so they can figure out how to, I don't know, teleport scooters, get free rides, all these sorts of things all the time. People out there do not nice things when folks are just trying to offer good services. So so we haven't, so I think there's two ways to approach this. The first is at, maybe three. The first is at the scooter level, which is all haptic technology, which is, you know, creating um, disincentives for deviant behavior. Yeah. It's, it's reasonably effective. Um, one of the things we've come to see is that uh, loss rates on scooters getting damaged or moved or whatever are much, much higher than anyone's even talking about in the industry. It's like 20 to 25% really is what you're looking at for a unit that goes out on the street. Not per day, but over the life cycle of a set of scooters. Yeah. The second is at the app level. Um, we actually have not come across a single case um, where somebody has been able to successfully break into our app 
steal data, user data, or just break into the app and get a free ride. Yeah. Um, we've had many cases where our app was, you know, I don't know, not functioning properly. People couldn't land their ride or whatever. And so we have to go back and credit accounts. That happens, like, I don't want to say regularly, but that, that's a normal occurrence when you have tens of thousands of rides going on. Yeah. The, the more troublesome thing that we've actually dealt with is um, the, the corporate security level, which is protecting our data, our rollout strategies, our market strategies, our email addresses, our phones, um, because we had a, an incident, which I can't speak to specifically, but I can speak to generally, which is where a, a series of our um, personal data at the executive level at Blue Duck was, was compromised, we believe, by one of our competitors. But, you know, again, I can't say whom or how. I can say that we do have evidence that that happened. And so we had to pivot what we thought was a, you know, nice little startup in San Antonio, Texas to you know, complete encrypted messaging, encrypted calls, two-factor everything that existed around that. And that was just wasn't something that we anticipated would be a part of this movement. But it is. And fortunately, we've gotten to a space because of a variety of incidents over the course of the past five years, which has made, you know, encrypted communications pretty easy and cheap and affordable. It's just really changing your behavior as a user as to how you communicate, not the, the inability to access platforms which allow you to do so. Yeah, no, I mean, it, the encrypted messaging apps are out there um, all over the place now, um, turning encrypted encryption on end to end for your emails so that um, even when they're sitting server side on the platform, uh, they're not accessible. And then uh, multi-factor authentication, uh, whether it's with physical keys or tokens or soft tokens on your phone or even uh, SMS are all now things that uh, if you're out there in the listening audience and, and you have valuable information, potentially intellectual property that people um, might want to steal and may not want to respect the laws uh, around that, then uh, you should be taking these precautions. And as uh, Eric was saying, uh, these are all things now that you, you can go do. And, and that way, hopefully no one knows uh, which city you're rolling out in next. So hence, on, hence why we were third in San Antonio. Yeah. And on, on the, the, the physical uh, scooter side of things. So I, I've, do my security research out there and i've seen um, some forums on the internet i won't specify which but that talk how to bypass those haptic feedback uh, items and um how to debrand the the scooters uh, and it seems like there's a uh, marketplaces now showing up where you can you can buy these salvage scooters so these this loss rates that you're mentioned here a little bit I think are a a real challenge and issue uh and it's going to be interesting to see how folks handle uh, the security on these in, in the long run of like whether it goes to a, a full um, hard fail mode where if the scooter determines that it's been tampered with like you can lithium ion battery you can um, you can cook things pretty easily so you could fry all the circuitry inside the scooter um, if you just dump all the voltage out and so I'll be curious to see if if any of the folks in cities have to go to um, something more drastic to prevent the theft of the the scooters physically I mean we have no intention of doing it but there is a case to be made that putting a camera into the scooter itself or a series of cameras which are very inexpensive would more or less eliminate that sort of behavior. I don't think it's the right thing to do. It's like kind of a bit of an Orwellian turn in the scooter wars. But if loss rates continue to stay at really high numbers, um, as we're currently seeing, which we actually believe will go down as, you know, skateboarders get less threatened by the idea of a scooter being on their sidewalk or whatever, um, we, we think 
somebody will probably start implementing that technology and um we'll see if if that's a driving component around the the behavioral stuff probably would be i just don't think it's morally appropriate to be filming people while while they're messing with your scooter it just seems to be a strange turn and an unnecessary one at present the 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 loss rate thing is is problematic but there there's so much liquidity in this space right now all of the major companies are so well capitalized that people aren't concerned with profitability right now. They're much more concerned with market share. Um, and uh, eventually, profitability will be a driving component of this marketplace when somebody IPOs or when somebody runs out of money, which is already, I'm told, happening. We've, we've been told that one of the seven is about to go upside down in the next couple of weeks. Um, and when the market has to get focused on returning monies to institutional investors, um, the scooter companies will respond with things that dramatically lower these sorts of loss rates. So that's yeah. our, that, that's our anticipation anyways. Yeah. I mean, I guess right now with, with how quick quickly these um, consumer scooters that have been mildly retrofitted or are just wearing out and failing from a suspension perspective and the rest of this, um, I guess it, yeah, if I had a spreadsheet, my guess would be right now theft is much lower down the priority list than figure out how to make these things last more than three weeks. Yeah, well, I'm so yes. I mean, theft is a problem. We had a couple. I mean, I mean, theft. It's really just you know, vandalism is a bigger problem. Yeah. Um, we had a couple of folks throw our scooters in the ocean in Corpus Christi the other day. We don't know who did it, but we know it happened because the local news crew came down and did a piece on you know scooters in the ocean. And what was interesting is the community of Corpus Christi was like galvanized. They were afraid that this incident was going to force us to leave town. Yeah, they like the scooters and the the availability of them so much that they're like, please, please do not take these away from us. We haven't had this sort of you know tech solution in Corpus Christi, you know maybe ever, but certainly in a while. And so that sense of the the grassroots support around the product itself, and then also the market kind of maturing, we think will address kind of hopefully address a lot of the stuff that you're talking about. But yeah. right now, it's it it just doesn't matter. You know, scooters get lost, they get broken, they die. You know, I haven't studied the early era of automobiles, but my guess is they had similar. You know, we'll call them hardware failures there certainly wasn't software integrated but no. this this market will mature to you know more robust products with more um, conscious and you know uh, educated uh, user base behind it now oh, yeah i mean it's like you, you even go back to to my generation as uh, as kids it was uh, pretty easy to uh, pop your head underneath the dashboard and start a car if you had some basic uh, electrical skills uh, these days not so easy to do so uh, it, I mean, it took cars uh, the better part of 100 years uh, to get to where uh, they became pretty tamper resistant. And even still today, we're getting key cloning attacks on on automobiles. If you've got keyless uh, entry and push button start on your car, uh, there's chances are I can just hang out next to you and um, grab the signals from your key and clone those and then uh, go off and drive and steal your car still. So I think as you have motivated uh, um, people out there with low ethics, uh, Security problems will continue on from now until the end of time, but hopefully you just keep making it just hard enough that you keep the average person honest. So, so I have an idea, and if you want to work with me on it, that's cool. If not, we're going to do it. Uh, Blue Duck is going to host at our warehouse a hackathon for anybody who wants to come in. If, and the person who can most effectively, efficiently, and easily break into our platform, I will hire them for a job 
the next day. There you go. And bring them onto our team. I would love to uh, to be out and have the uh, hackathon. But we can get some uh, students from some of the universities, some of the Cyber Patriot teams uh, on over. Uh, and some of them may be uh, out there uh, looking for a job, but some of them might uh, just uh, in the capture the flag style of a lot of the cybersecurity things uh, have some fun on this. So, yeah, we would be uh, happy to uh, sponsor that as CyberTalk Radio and uh, have the uh, Scooters Out Hackathon. That'd be great. I mean, this is something that we think a lot about because there's like the hardware hack and then there's the software hack too. Because the thing that we, you know, we haven't had any hardware hacks um, at, nor software that we're aware of, with the exception of some of our friends in the space, you know, we're very cognizant of, you know, the data security side of the space, which is, you know, quite simply, when you register for an account, you know, we are collecting, you know, personal information. We're collecting your name, you know, your phone number. Um, we're taking a photo of your driver's license because we believe that you should be licensed to operate a motor vehicle if you're going to be riding an electric scooter. Some of the other providers don't believe that. That's their, you know, prerogative to do so. Um, and we also obviously are collecting your credit card um, as well. And so the the protecting that piece of it is crux to our relationship with our customers and consumers. Because as we've seen with some of the larger corporate hacks, when you kind of pierce the veil or break that trust with your user base, um, it can be unbelievably disruptive and destructive to your business model. So we, we can never be in a situation where that's the, the conversation about Blue Duck in a given business cycle or the like. Yeah, and, and while the, the scooters are not self-driving, uh, and, and we've, we've seen in the automobile side of things where some of the um, cars that have the mobile app integration and remote start, remote shutoff, uh, if you were driving down the freeway in your, your vehicle and I was able to just turn the car off on you, pretty scary and i mean those have been some bugs that have been given back to some of those auto manufacturers that have uh phone integration into the automobiles um i mean similarly with the scooters uh, with these apps there's lock and unlock and if if somebody was riding along and you could figure out how to send a lock signal to the scooter um that's not going to be a, a very pleasant riding experience when the wheels just seize up and it stops so like that type of hacking uh from a perspective against the the scooters themselves as well um if it's not happening out there right now and things haven't been published, people are certainly trying to figure out how to do that. Yeah. What's, I mean, what you're talking about is essentially a public safety angle around cyber. We yeah. haven't seen that yet. That's not to say it can't be done. What we see actually, the real public safety problem is, um, you know, everybody else in the space essentially outsources their logistics operation, um, their collection, charging service and redeployment in the morning. And when you do that, you get units which are unsafe um, because no one's actually checking in on them on a daily basis. And it's simple things. It's not anything that a bicycle mechanic can't do. Um, yeah. But we, we are dedicated to making sure our products are safe. And as such, we've built a business model, which is probably less economic, although you know I don't actually know the other guy's numbers. But I do know it's the right thing to do to hire dedicated employees, have dedicated warehouse space, and bring in-house the logistics operation so that every day a Blue Duck employee is touching every scooter and making sure that when it comes in, if there are issues, it goes to the maintenance area, and by the morning they're addressed and they're ready to go back out. Because you know, putting a scooter out that doesn't have a working brake, which happens all the time here in San Antonio and the like from some of our friends, is is 
easily the most dangerous and risk-oriented situation that people get into. And yeah, so, because you don't find out that the brakes aren't working, by the way, until the first time you've accelerated all the way up to top speed, and then you're coming up to a stoplight and you're trying to stop. I feel like Brett has some experience here. Yeah, yeah, I've 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 had to bail off of. Uh, two scooters i ride them a ton so this is not like two out of ten rides this is two out of hundreds of rides likely uh i ride them around downtown all the time uh and i've had to, to bail off twice because of the brakes uh i'm i'm pretty selective now uh about uh the scooters that I, i'm hopping on and because they're not consistently inspected so i have to do an inspection as a rider each time when i come up to them it's not effective. So, I mean, that's one of the things you guys are doing different from a, a business perspective. And then you said as well, you're going to, to cities uh, such as, as Corpus Christi uh, or others. Um, what other things are you guys doing different from some of the other scooter companies that you're willing to talk about in the radio? Uh, so just save them the effort of trying to steal it from you. We're, we're trying to create and eliminate all of the hurdles that exist around the, the rental model. Um, the, the current way that you get onto a platform is pretty cumbersome. And so we're trying to find ways to innovate. And I can't, I apologize for being cagey. Yeah, be cagey on that one. I, we're, 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 we're trying to find ways to make the user experience as good as possible. By that, I mean the physical being on a scooter and eliminate the, you know, kind of the app fatigue that we all have around this stuff because it shouldn't be cumbersome to just take a scooter to lunch. It should be very very easy and so we're, we're finding ways and we're working through ways which um, we feel like uh, no one in the space is currently doing that that will uh, kind of define the way that you go about uh, renting electric scooters and we're interested in you know licensing that we'll call it hardware piece um, as a platform to the other providers as well that they, they can use yeah you're listening to 1200 wai and this is cyber talk radio and we're talking about the electric scooter boom um been joined by eric bell the ceo of blue duck we've been uh discussing some of the things going on here in san antonio but even all the way out to santa monica and uh where these things are it's a scooter mecca there in santa monica seven companies on the streets do you guys just have like one little blue duck you put down there just to to hang out with all the other birds we we have no interest in competing no. in, in Santa Monica. Yeah, uh, but you know what's interesting is it's kind of a follow the leader thing if you're there, and we've seen it with, um, you know, there's 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 six Cal Californian companies and then us, and um, you know the the growth strategy for everybody else is pretty simple. Um, Bird goes into a market, Lime follows them a few days later, and then the other companies come in behind. So. Um, for us, it's staying focused on like just not doing that. You know, we, we had a kind of a pool office pool going on as to, you know, who of the smaller companies, who of any of the companies was going to come and counter our strategic like growth strategy as far as where we're going. And I always assumed incorrectly that it was going to be one of this, this quote, smaller players like us, that they would get keen on, you know, being the eighth scooter provider in Santa Monica is like not good business um, and what we've actually seen is um, you know the people that we're really competing with is uh, the big guy which is bird you know when we open a new market a secondary or tertiary market it's not jump or scoot or spin who comes and tries to be second and still you know create a business out of it it's you know bird immediately comes in behind us and you know tries to, to clobber us with scooters uh, the good thing is, like I said earlier, being first or second is like a really good business. And so we can still compete with Bird in these markets. 
Now, the real question is, is what happens when you get into a hyper-competitive landscape in some of these secondary and tertiary markets where there's, you know, there's now four providers here in San Antonio. We expect over the course of the next 18 to 24 months, that'll probably be consistent with all of the major markets and a lot of the secondary markets. And so I think from a business perspective, what happens when the pricing war starts, right? Because eventually we think the price of these things ultimately goes to zero. Um, it becomes an extension of your Amazon Prime account, right? Yeah. Um, and what that business looks like. And that's probably the driver around monetizing different facets of the business, which is particularly the data side of the business behind it. Because, I mean, we archive, obviously, all of our data and secure it. But we haven't even begun to mine it and figure out how you could create a business vertical that exists behind that piece. Right now, everything is just driven on unlock fees and per minute fees. And that in and of itself is, is, is a good business. You know, I mean, if you can have a scooter that lasts more than 21 days, yeah. that's a really good business. But there are there are there are market without yeah. 4000 scooters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, it's interesting. I mean, as I, I think on the privacy side, um, I'm thoughtful about what tracking I allow Google and Facebook and the rest of them to do from the internet perspective. But I, I might be willing if, if there was a, an advertising fueled scooter riding model where I could just go down and pick up a scooter and like it either played commercials to me while I rode it along or it um, knew that I'm the one who unlocked it and it it provided that data out as an information broker. I might be willing to trade that privacy for just the 100% convenience of being able to hop on a scooter and just ride it along. So it's an interesting thing that you, you mentioned where some of these things could go from a, a business model perspective. So at present, yes. As I met with a, a big agency out in LA last week who was talking about two things, you know, white labeling the scooters and turning them into rolling advertisements. And also what you just mentioned, which is cross-promotion marketing on the scooter itself. Um, I think those are interesting ideas. I think the market will land there eventually. I think better a better idea is figuring out a way to integrate an audio mapping system into the scooter that can tell you where the best and nearest bike lane is. Because there, there are issues with line of sight and control of the scooter. You should not be looking up and down from the handlebar to the road, back and forth. It's just, it's not unsafe. It's just, it's better to stay focused on the road. And there aren't always good routes for pedestrian access and scooter access. So if you were able to thoughtfully build in essentially an auditorily guided mapping system to get you to the nearest bike route, to get you to where you want to have lunch or have coffee, I think that would be profound development in, in the, 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 the scooter economy. And, you know, our innovation department is working through that right now. And it is doable. The, the question is, is it scalable and at what cost? And so right now we're figuring out how we can do it because we know when there's a hyper-competitive landscape where there's four scooters on a sidewalk of four different companies, users are going to begin to make decisions based off their user experience and the amenities that exist behind it. And there are simple amenities like adding a basket to the front of it so people can take it to the grocery store too. That's fine, whatever baskets are cool, or a phone holder or whatever. But yeah. really, when you're able to get on one and get personally directed to where you're going in a safe and efficient manner, we think would be like a huge development for everyone. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I like that because with you're checking in with the app, you could mark a destination and then it, could, it can do real-time nav for you you on the way there. That's an interesting 
addition and uh, to one of the just one of the many innovations I think we're going to see coming uh, in the future here in scooters. So if you're listening to the program and you're like, you know what, I'm a hardware engineer, I'm a software engineer, I'm a cybersecurity person, this scooter thing is super exciting, I want to be part of it. Um, are you guys hiring at Blue Duck, Eric? Yeah. Okay, so where where would they go to find out about the careers that you have available? Uh, we have a jobs page on our website. Also, you can just inbound um, info at blueduckscooters.com. Um, you know, we hired like 25 people last week, and and we're gonna hire you know another 100 people over the next you know couple of months. Um, you know, and uh, we want to do as much of this as we possibly can here. We want to keep as much of Blue Duck in San Antonio as we can. Um, you know, we will be opening other offices because of the demands of the industry and because of where the industry is, you know, kind of centered, um, so to speak, like, as we spoke earlier about, you know, if you started a car company in San Antonio, you'd still have an office in Detroit. And so like, if you start a scooter company in San Antonio, that still means you need an office in LA or in Santa Monica. But to a large extent, we want to build everything we possibly can here because we've, we've been talking about building companies like this in this city for generations, you know, the company you used to work with and it became yeah. a spinoff is, is a marker in the history of the development of the ecosystem. And we've come around and said, okay, we're here. There's, there's lots of really great and exciting young and small companies, but there aren't that many companies in the tech space who are, you know, going to hire a couple hundred people this year and continue growing into, you know, probably the most exciting space maybe in the history of the venture markets but certainly in the last five or ten years so. yeah uh, i mean this is a, a game changing we have we have a number of b2b um and even on uh, the smb and and enterprise uh technology companies here in san antonio but there's uh not much consumer and the consumer ones have the ability these days to to grow massively and rapidly uh wish uh, you and the blue duck team uh the best of success in this and uh thank you very much for joining us and talking about an issue that i know uh, our audience is uh keen to hear and learn about hopefully uh, some of the cyber folks out there uh, will one uh, join us at a hackathon on these things and two maybe they'll come work for you uh, on into building blue duck here in san antonio thanks brett this was awesome dude